Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. This episode we have Netflix 100, sorry, 207 film from 2020, <laughs> The Psychological Trauma, Horse Girl, directed by Jeff Boehner. It stars Alison Brie, Debbie Ryan, John Reynolds, Molly Shannon, John Ortiz, and Paul Razor. I'm Jesse and I'm here with MJ. How are you? I'm good. You can tell we're still freshly into the 200s. <laughs> the 200s. <laughs> it, uh, so for a hundred for a hundred episodes, you started with we are having the 100 and something. We're just fresh at the 200, so you haven't quite moved on yet. No, nah, and you can tell that I, I wasn't reading that one from the sheet. I was just doing it off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it. You've done it about 207, 207 times. times so. Yeah, That's big stuff up for me. But we have an interesting film to chat about today. I'm. Uh, mm. Quite intrigued to see where this, this chat goes and and how it's uh, discussed, but we do start with our fast flicks, our quick summary of what the film's about. What's Horse Girl about for you? I'm going to do a spoiler alert now. My fast flicks doesn't spoil it, but yeah. I, I know when I've been thinking about this film, I'm going to spoil this so quickly. So I'm worried that I'm just going to jump into <laughs> it accidentally. So if you haven't seen Horse Girl, we do intend on spoiling it in this uh, in this chat. So. If you wanted to watch it without it being spoiled, uh, turn us off now. Go watch it. Come back and listen to us. And it's definitely one of those films that you want to have a chat about. So um, definitely come back and hear what these two idiots have to say. Um, my fast flicks for Horse Girl. It's a tough one to write, actually. I've just mm. gone with Horse Girl follows Sarah, who has a history, or her has a family history of mental illness as she starts to lose her grip on reality. Nice. I like it. Yeah. I also found it hard. I, I've gone similar lines. I've just said a socially awkward girl descends into a world of her own. Mm. Oh, mm. That too. There's a bit, yeah, there's a bit happening in this film. And I know both of us kind of touched on that side of it. And there's, there's even a little bit more to it. So that's, that's kind of, um, yeah, there's just a lot here. There is. And we, we will talk about it soon, but we're going to first talk about what could you discover about how this film ended up on Netflix? How did it come about? Yeah, well, Alison Brie, and, um, who is a star of the film, plays the aforementioned Sarah that I mentioned in my Fast Flicks, um, along with Jeff Boehner, who's the director, basically came together to write this, this screenplay. Um, it was Alison Brie's first venture into the world of screenwriting. We know Alison Brie as an actress, has been on a bunch of things before. Um, her first venture into screenwriting. These two had actually worked together uh, on other projects, they kind of had these two ideas for a movie that they discovered were basically complementary and, and kind of had the crux of a story if they got put together. And I think Alison Brie kind of outlined her family history with mental illness and her, her grandmother's paranoid schizophrenia and how she kind of thought it would be something worthwhile to investigate and create a movie around a character who's going through something similar, but then also experiencing things that are potentially supernatural or science fiction-y and she kind of has difficulty discerning what's real and what's not. And then the uh, director, Jeff, Jeff Boehner, has this idea of this woman who'd grown up around horses and kind of sort of lost all that when she was in her late teens and how that there was a trauma there that sort of played out over time and realised that maybe if we put this story and the original story together, we've got a story of, of one. And that's kind of, you know, that's that's a movie we just watched. So it's interesting how they sort of just came up together. I think they were going for a hike together and just started chatting about it and, uh, Know, before you know it, we watched it on, on Netflix. So it was June 2019 when they officially announced this film. Um, uh, the Duplass brothers were the executive producers of the film. Jay Duplass is in the film as well. 
uh, and Netflix on board from the from the get go as a distributor. Um, it, it the whole movie in production, from what I can gather, and this was quite interesting. Is is it was more or less improvised from a dialogue perspective. So they, they kind of have this detailed outline, and it's developed to a point where there isn't a lot of room to narratively change anything. Um, and the majority of the dialogue is kind of beaten out. But once they sort of start filming it, that's when they sort of decide you know, what exactly they're going to say and how it's going to flow. They don't expressively state that in the screenplay, which is quite interesting and something I can, from what I can gather, Jeff Boehner likes to do in, in, in projects in general. Um, and once they sort of run through it a few times, he's kind of like, all right, let's lock that in. That's what we're going to say, which is, uh, which is kind of a cool way to make film. Um, so they filmed it. Uh, had its world premiere at Sundance Film Festival. I think Jeff Bain is four from four with his first four films all ended up at Sundance, which is a pretty good get. Um, January 27, 2020 was when that uh, premiered at Sundance and then it was released on uh, Netflix what's that, a week and a bit later on February 7 worldwide. And, uh, and that's how we got to see it. Good. Yep. I, only other things that I have to add. Uh, so it's filmed in and around LA from 17th of June 2019 to the 24th of July, so um, a bit over a month of uh, filming. It was nominated for two awards. It won one. I don't know if this is quite an award or more of a top list, but it was put on the top 100 most popular narrative and animated feature awards at the Reframe Awards. Um, so it was right. nominated or put, won that, it says, and then it was nominated at the Women's Image Network Awards for Outstanding Feature Film as well. So interesting mm. couple. Of, we've heard of Reframe before. Um I can't remember when, but I know we've definitely seen some Netflix uh, films on there before. Only other things that I'll add, I guess, are the, the there was no tagline that I could see for this film. The translations, there's some good translations for this one around the world. Oh, well, this good is a weird title, so I, I'm hoping for title. some good translations. So across the, the Spanish-speaking part of the world, it's called The Girl Who Loved Horses. So okay. doesn't, <laughs> very, very tiny, doesn't really fit completely with the whole movie. These, these ones start to get um, a little bit better. There's two more. So in Brazil, it was called Between Realities. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a bit of a spoiler, yeah. <laughs> possibly. Yeah, true. Um, and then in Taiwan, it was called Favourite Horse Monster Woman, which I don't mind. Ah, <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> the I... horse, I've been thinking I'm going into some movie about some woman who's a horse monster. Um, I would like to watch that movie. You're right. I, I'm, I'm curious by that movie. If that's yeah. even if that's the, the the synopsis of the movie, I don't even care. I, I I'm keen. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about the consensus for this one. What are critics and audiences saying? So IMDb is a five point nine out of ten off eighteen thousand ratings, uh, and Letterboxd is basically exactly the same. It's two point nine out of five. This one's got 43,000 ratings, so a hell of a lot more people in Letterboxd have rated it, which, you know, as a Sundance film doesn't surprise me. Um, I would say that is probably sitting just under par, maybe par, whatever you want to call it, but it's, yeah, it's it's not lighting the world on fire. Yeah, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, this is fresh. Uh, off 58 oh. reviews, it's at 71%. So, nice. again, very similar to, to what we're looking at. And the audience, however, had it... Uh, quite a bit lower, down to 47%. That's on more than 500 ratings. So uh, audience is not so much a a fan of this one. And you'll probably understand reasons why, which I'm sure we're going to get into now as we head into our early thoughts for this film. Yeah, I I can't wait to to chat through this with you. And I have no idea about when we're going to find out shortly. But I I like this. I I think I really, really liked it. Um, And I have to say from the start, 
as a rule up until now, I've never liked Alison Brie. There's been something about her. I've never liked her in, in anything she's done. Whether it's the character she's, I don't know. Whether it's just the way she looks, I don't know. But I've never liked Alison Brie. But I thought she was excellent in this, uh, in what's a really, really um, multifaceted sort of role. I, I like in this film. I like the exploration of mental illness, illness, and how people, basically outside of your own mental illness, um, they're just so poorly equipped to deal with it. She's a great reflection of reality. I enjoyed the the blurred lines of reality and the hallucinations. And it just kept my mind ticking into trying to discover what's actually happening and what's going to happen next. And then trying to piece it all together. I think it's really plausible and bear with me here. I think it's really plausible that this alien time traveling component really does exist. And I think I'm okay with it and it works. Um, There were parts of the movie that felt a little bit incomplete and, and, uh, brushed aside a little bit, but as a rule, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of your sentiment. I think I think the performance from um, Bree's great. Uh, yeah, I was intrigued the whole way through, which I think is a real mm. positive. And I think a part of that was the the compassion and the care that I felt for Sarah from the get go, um, which I think it's something to admire through the performance and and the writing. I guess if you write a character, yeah. you're going to perform that character uh, an awful lot better. I guess and. I think, like you said too, that the idea of, of mental illness, it's such an important issue. I'm, I'm not 100% sure they actually make like meaningful commentary on it, but I think they do do a good job of allowing the audience to step into the shoes of how it must feel at times because I definitely got mm. that, that feeling of confusion and unease and um, you know not knowing exactly what's going on. So I appreciated that as well. Yeah, you wanted to scream at some of the characters to be like, mm. say this, do that, mm-hmm. like look at these signs. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's talk about some characters. Uh, I reckon there's probably three main ones that we're going to discuss that sort of stick out to me the most because the rest are all really side parts of her adventure. Yeah, well, this is this is massively a, a character study of, mm. of Sarah. Um, and really, where do we... St- She's really kind of happy and comfortable in her own little bubble when we meet her. And it's... It's the pressures and expectation of fulfilling the societal norms of spiral. Or if you believe the alien side of the story, it kind of coincides with her little trips to the spaceship. But either way, the commentary around mental health is really important in, in, in deciphering this character. And I think the other key component, which you touched on before, is how real it all seems for her and, and her ability to rationalize it so she really really believes this stuff is happening to her she's aware that it's pretty ridiculous and her claims are going to be laughed at so she's very careful about how she goes about it but when she sees an opening she will explain it and she will justify and she'll get excited that she can do that but it's it's tragic character arc in so many ways because she's a mentally unwell person who will have a lot of trouble functioning in society but somehow seems to have fallen through the cracks enough to make sure she's not going to get the help that she needs, even though as an audience, you're watching her knowing that she needs it. Um, or the other side is she's on this constant time loop back into the past to become her grandma and go through this harrowing cycle again. Either way you look at it, it's very tragic. Yes. And you, that's, like, that's a part of it. I think you can't help but feel sadness for, for Sarah at times. Uh, I like the setup of her having these very specific hobbies or interests too like the idea of horses arts craft and this crime television show these these all interconnect so well in, in telling her story um and 
and you've touched on this too, but the idea of the awkward struggles for her to share any life experiences with anyone that she associates with. Um, she doesn't really have her own identity and and the lack of this almost pushes her to connect with um, her grandmother and, and a, a part her mother too and, and to feel like that maybe she is them as well. Even if you don't believe the alien side of things, that still can be a, a true part of her as a character too, uh, which is, you know, it's, yeah, I, I felt bad for this this character the whole way through and just wanted wanted some help for her. And I like that when you spoke about, you know, falling through the cracks a little bit too because realistically she's got no parents. The stepdad just wants to give her cash and fob her off. And apart from that, um, her housemate doesn't seem to care. She's got one constant which cares about her, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a sec. Well, yeah, that's, that's that's obviously Joan, played by Molly Shannon. And this is kind of a hard one, too, because I see Joan is a friend of, of Sarah and arguably a good friend, but still probably not close enough to truly understand her. Not that you can ever really put yourself in someone's shoes in this sense, but at least I found her a form of comfort, comfort for me when I was watching. Like when Joan was around, I was like, oh, thank God, Joan's, you know, Joan's here. But, yeah, but I also don't think that, she could have done much more to help her. You know, she obviously looks after her when she has that big incident and then calls the, you know, the, whoever it was to, to come and take her. But you also feel like these two don't really interact outside of work, which makes you think that this is the closest person. Joan's very well aware that she probably is one of her closest friends, but I wouldn't think that it, it's, it's a reciprocated friendship. Like, I don't think Joan's, you know, inviting Sarah to her intimate friends' dinners and things like that. But she understands it. She kind of needs her. But it's kind of still a little bit sad that she just doesn't have anyone who is closer, apart from a, a really nice co-worker. Yeah. And I reckon, like, you can almost see that at times. You've probably got really close people that you work with that you spend most of your days with and you, you talk your whole life through. But at the end of the day, you work with them. So you don't really want to socialize all the time outside of work with them too because it's almost like you're socializing with work and you need that break from things so at, at times i could you know but at the same time like that that sweetness that she did show or that or that character of joan um I, to me it just seemed like you know part of joan enjoying going to work and the part of that distraction of, of that passion with the arts and the craft and and things like that was also that she knew that there was someone there that she could talk to and it was a constant mm-hmm. in her life almost someone that was um she knew when she rocked up to work at those times and worked those hours, Joan was always going to be there. Um, and it wasn't going to be someone that was going to let her down or get frustrated at her for for, for being who she is. Joan was going to mm-hmm. understand and try and help. And that that's a positive for her. Yep. Nah, it's, it's a good point too. Darren, we talk about Darren. Big dazzler. Um, <laughs> another pretty, pretty likable character for me. He, he kind of goes through all this normal meat cute stuff, you know, He's he's really in his own head, and not in a bad way, but in a way that he can't truly see Sarah for who she is until it's gone too far. I mean, he's he's meeting this girl for the first time. He's attracted to her. He's listening to her. He's saying the right things. Everything's going well, and you get it all. You get it all. We we know as an audience that there's more to her, and you know this is <laughs> this is going to spiral. But he handles all of these situations as most people would, and that makes him really relatable, which is why I think this character worked. Um, because he was he was nothing but nice to her in in all kinds of ways. Even when she flipped her lid, he was still kind of trying to go about yeah. it the right way. Um, just a fascinating character to to just pop into this world. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you've said. I think to finish up what you were saying, like at that cemetery, 
everyone else would probably be like, yeah, I'm just getting out of here straight away. But, you know, he's even just like, it's okay. I'm not going to leave you in a cemetery here yeah. by yourself. Let's let's go somewhere else. And then she completely is like, okay, fine, I've got to go. But he gives her enough chances. Like the, the decency yeah. that he shows made him a character that you liked um, because he yep. did the right things and he seemed to actually show a bit of care. And it was nice to see those meet cutes from the other side of thing with the the guy sort of chasing um yeah too so that was cool yeah are there any other i've also got um i've also got nikki who is is a housemate and and more just to she was just the perfect highlight for people who don't understand what people are going through so she doesn't understand sarah at all and whilst you could argue that she does make this effort to bring her out of her shell she's really just doing it for herself she's doing something that she would like that helps Sarah fit into a box that works for her. And everybody does this. Everyone, you know, uses the word weird or this person's different or whatever it is because they're not fitting into the box that you think they should fit in. So Nikki's doing all she can to fit her into that box, um, but she's never actually trying to understand her. And, and for most of the film, Sarah's just a really big inconvenience to Nikki and, and she hasn't got the compassion or empathy to deal with that. And um, as much as it seems like she's really cold for most of these moments, it's, I'm sure it's a reality for so many people who are in this position that people who just don't get them just just don't want to borrow them and they just keep getting in their way and rather than trying to find out you know, what what might help and what might work, uh, they just go about it the wrong way. And we've also got to remember that this film is from Sarah's point of view. So we're seeing Nikki's actions through Sarah's point of view at times too. So who actually knows through her, her warped realities at times how these communications are actually going um, and whether that the introduction from Darren actually went how it went. Like, is that, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows if that's actually how the setup happened? Um, I was waiting for that kind of stuff yeah. too, you know, yeah. when she lost the car, I was like, Oh, who is this guy? <laughs> I've never met. I don't know. But um, I mean, I, I, yeah, what you're saying is, is, is true and fair. I, I get that as well. Um, and I don't think like it, Sarah's a tough, hang don't get me wrong like if i'm living with her and i come home and she's ripping up all the pipes and she's doing a bloody seance in the living like fair enough i've got issues <laughs> there's got to be a point where you're like maybe she needs help that's not me yelling at her uh i haven't got any other characters um no nah, i think no. we've uh we've covered the crux of them so uh, jeff um jeff Boehner, the, the director i thought it was like you mentioned before this is his fourth sort of uh, feature that's gone to Sundance after, was it Life After Beth, Joshy and the Little Hours? I, I remember when Joshy came out, the other two not so much. Um, I just thought it was interesting, these, his latest one that's come out this year, Spin Me Round, only came out a couple of weeks ago, um, which he also wrote and stars Alison Brie as well, wrote with her too. Yeah, yeah I think this is Alison Brie's third, oh, sorry, she's done three writing gigs after this one, so clearly it's a bit of a passion point for her and clearly her yeah. and Jeff Boehner. Uh, for a bit cool. of a partnership. Good. All right, let's talk about some scenes. I've, I've, I haven't had a film in a long time where I've struggled to actually identify specific things that I enjoyed or didn't like. It would just sort of all sort of flowed. So I'm interested to hear what you stood out for yourself. I am, I'm exactly the same, oh, Jesse. I don't take <laughs> that many notes when I watch, but I do if there's a scene that I particularly like or dislike, I just quickly write a note on my phone as I'm watching it. But this one, the movie kind of ended and I was like, oh, <laughs> like I kind of <laughs> forgot to. Like, I think I was just so intrigued. There's, there's so much of this film, you don't know where it's going. And, and mm. it can go in so many different ways and you were expecting one thing and another thing happens. And I think that just kept me um, just kept me so engaged the whole time that I wasn't thinking about whether I was enjoying it or not, which is, which is nice. But um, I did particularly like 
when she first, I guess we call it sleepwalking, but uh, in the middle of the night and she's just standing there facing the wall. <laughs> just, But I think it was the moment when um, Nikki's boyfriend just goes, Ryan. like, Sarah, and she just like turns around and is like, sorry, and just walks away. <laughs> and I'm like, this is interesting. There's, there's something kind of cool going on here. Um, and, and to that note, um, actually, no, I'm going to go chronological. The scene with the, the ear, nose and throat doctor, um, <laughs> and this is one I put in retrospectively. This is one of the scenes where I was like really hoping he was going to do a little bit more. I don't think he did much wrong. Don't get me wrong. But I was really hoping he would have handled the situation a little bit better because she sort of starts saying things and he kind of plays it off like, well, this is obviously not my level of expertise, but I'll, and then she goes even further and he clicks that like, okay, this girl needs, this girl needs help. And I just wish he had been a bit more, a bit less clinical about it, you know, tried to sort of listen to her and then sort of say, Hey, someone actually might be able to talk to. I just, it it kind of frustrated me, but I, which is why I liked it as well. Cause I was just screaming at him to be like, Oh, please put me in your shoes for a second. I just want to try this. Um, so that was good. But then, oh, man, when um, the cemetery scene, well, basically the lead up to the cemetery scene, basically the point where Darren realises that she's batshit crazy. Um, initially, when they pull up at, is it Ron, Ron's house, and, and yep. then they go to the cemetery. But then you can, I love seeing Sarah get so animated by this. And on the flip side, Darren, at the exact same time, is getting more and more creeped out. He's like, sure, he's one of our but just yeah. highlighted by the music at the cemetery, like it got really, it, like it was almost from horror film, this realisation. Then I started to fear for Darren a little bit because I knew she had like scissors in her hand. I was like, I didn't know where that scene was going to go. And that's always one of my favourite things when watching a movie, when you're just completely dumbfounded with where it's going to go. Um, that was a cracker. And and the final one I'll mention is is when she does meet with uh, the, the social worker, I think it's Ethan. For the first time, I just thought the whole situation was actually handled quite well. Um, but obviously, we got that insight into her family, which we needed. So I really wanted to hear that backstory. I thought he handled it much better than the than the ear, nose, and throat doctor, which which put me at ease a little bit. Um, but I was just it slowly started to put more pieces of the puzzle together because this was a puzzle that I was continuously trying to put together um, throughout its entirety. Cool. Yeah, I I got a couple of different things. Uh, I- there was like the scene when they were sort of the two couples were having that party, the introduction between Darren and Sarah and um, Brian, who's Nikki's boyfriend. He just like started rapping out of nowhere. I This is sort of the precursor to the cemetery scene, but I really liked the the dinner conversation between Sarah and Darren where she's gone on a bit of a rant about, you know, he apologizes for bringing up the ex-girlfriend yeah. the last time they spoke, which I think needed to be addressed because that really frustrated me the first time. So he's made men's, but, and you know, she goes on about her paranormal ideas and just the, and you know, he makes one line about like, yeah, cool. If, if this is, this means something to you, cool. Yeah. I can accept that. And just the, the look on, on her face that mm. she was being accepted something that she was saying was finally being listened to and accepted by someone was just a perfect part of the performance that I really felt that moment that this is like, this is a turning point for her. Um, obviously it wasn't, but. Um, it was, it was <laughs> no, it was turning. Nice. She yeah, turned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was nice. But, Darren, but Darren as well in that scene was, was that he handled it so normally. If you're on a first date with someone you really like and they say that, you're kind of like, yeah. And he like fishes around for another conspiracy theory. He's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this. is an interesting <laughs> conversation. Yeah. yeah. I you didn't think it was going to go where it went. Um, and the last one, like, I enjoyed – I didn't enjoy, but I thought it was a nice moment where 
um, where Sarah rocks up at work and Joan's there when she's got no clothes on um, and Joan's just able to calm her down and, and talk to her. Um, I, it, it, it was t- For me, it was a touching scene that was like, you know, it's nice to see that there are people that might not necessarily have a, um, a bloodline connection or a outside work connection that actually look out for other people. So I like that moment too. That was done really well too, the, the hallucination of her walking out of the shower. In her head, she's walking out of the shower, and then she kind of wakes up, and she's walking into the store. Um, they actually, they actually did that really well. Yeah. Anything that you didn't like? There's not much. I, I maybe nitpicking a little bit, but that sort of big hallucination scene that she had near the end when she had that night in the uh, in the home, for lack of a better term, I think it just lingered for a little bit too long. I, 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 they make it very clear that it's a hallucination scene, or whatever you want to call it. You know, they have her leaving the building whilst she's standing there watching her. So you sort of already in your head, you're like, I don't think she's going anywhere. Um, and I think it just went a little bit too long. I only think I've got as well. I, like creatively, I thought it was cool, but I just didn't enjoy yeah. um, that last trip. It was just like, I think it said, went a bit too long. And I guess they did well in bringing back all the characters we'd seen throughout the film and the, the transformations between the, the two Darrens and, and back with the, the girl who fell off the horse and things like that. And they're all meaningful things and it looked cool and it would have been really fun to do all these practical shots, but as a viewing experience, it, it just didn't really add anything to the, the narrative. Yeah, I think so too. Themes, ideas, we've sort of touched on a few of these already um, and I think they're pretty, pretty clear in what they're talking about, but fill us in. Yeah, like, Mental illness is is a huge one in this, and in this case, it's kind of specifically like a paranoid schizophrenia type uh, illness. But I think the thing that stood out for me so much was was the lack of support around it. When she's when she's talking to this guy at the hospital or whatever wherever she was, and she's like, "Oh, he's like, oh, you get to go home today." First thing in my head, I'm like, "Oh, geez, like she's not ready to go home." And then she says, she, she comes up with these you know, absurd theories like, hey, it's okay now because I saw this girl. I know that this is happening. I know all this. I know that. So it's and like she's talking like a really crazy person. And for him to just be like, Yeah, well, I'm gonna sign your papers and off your trot anyway. She's not in a position to go out and live her life. And I think that really stands out um as like the catalyst of the lack of support for mental health. There's so many other examples throughout the film which we've kind of already touched on. But I think if this movie is saying nothing else, and it's saying a lot, but if it's saying nothing else, this is the big thing to take out of it is is how A, how difficult it is to support someone who's going through a mental illness, but B, how how much people just neglect it uh, and whether where it's the, a societal thing. Or, to, yeah, to, to yeah. support and help. Yeah. I'd, so I, I think that was strong. Yeah, I think so too. I think the, the idea too that the warped perception or the inability to understand the world at times, like what's real and what isn't, that mm. can stem from the mental illness like what and in this instance here a, a lot of this mental illness possibly can be biological from the grandmother but also that the, the trauma that we hear in the backstory about sarah of what she's gone through like the falling from the horse and her being okay where the other girl was like sort of disabled after mm. her, the the guilt that she'd feel from that her dad leaving when she was 16 her mum taking her own life like all these things that build up that just create instability in a world um, definitely lead to to things that, that can happen like this. Yeah, and you know what? It also comes down to 
as I said, she she seems somewhat happy in her own little bubble doing her own little thing, but it's that public perception and social norms she's supposed to live by that yeah. puts pressure on her. And then she feels obliged to go out for her birthday with with friends, even though she doesn't have anyone to go out with. And, you know, she feels obliged to, you know, have have a drink and have a smoke because that's what they're doing when that kind of is the thing that pushes her over the edge. But she just feels like she has to and people don't accept her if she's not. Yeah. How awkward is that? But like to the Zumba instructor, oh, like, what are you doing tonight? I am probably going out. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, it was tough, tough, tough watch. Oh, I know. I'm glad she didn't go further though. <laughs> yeah. All right. What, what did you take away from this one? I just, Horse Girl just feels like this, this juicy film. I keep thinking about it. I keep reading about it. I'm trying to put these pieces together and I'm hopefully going to continue to get more out of it through this conversation. And I think if you watch it again, uh, which I would like to do, I think you'll see things differently and pick up on yeah. things that, that once you sort of formed your own ideas after watching it the first time, you'll see a lot more to either support it or to, to you know, talk against one thing that you might have thought. Completely agree. I think it definitely deserves a rewatch. Um, I think it's a pretty daring film too. Without Netflix yep. and the uh, Duplass brothers on board, the I can't imagine many studios backing this and being like, yeah, we're going to get it as a release either. Um, so mm-hmm. That's a really good this, point. This is a film that you know feels like a, a Netflix film. It's nice that they're at a stage where this is a it's sort of a daring film. I like that. Good call. IMDb, did you go on to check anyone out? I did. It was a good one too. The um the girl who plays uh in the cast list, she's known as Jane Doe. So it's the girl who she keeps seeing in her her dreams with the alien ship, and then she sees her in the room. Um, the actress's name is Dylan Galula. Um, but she's in Cooper Rafe's Shit House, which I watched very recently. Um, and yeah, one of those things that. You don't know the face that well, but when you've watched it within the last few months, you're like, oh, that's so satisfying that now I know who you are. Uh, I, I was just proud of myself. I didn't look this one up because the the Brian, uh, Nikki's boyfriend, like as soon as I saw him on screen, I was like, ah, oh, love that guy. Because um, he was Rock Hudson in that Hollywood Netflix TV show. It was like last year or the year before. And I loved his performance in that. So I straight away I knew him. But I did look um, up two characters from the fictional show, that purgatory show that was on the TV. <laughs> yeah. Um because I was like, those, I'm like, they're in like Bones or something. And I looked it up and they specifically casted people that have been in all those different types of crime shows. So it's a really clever sort of thing. So the Agatha Kane um, was played by mm-hmm. um, a chick called Robin um, Tunney. And she was in The Mentalist for seven years. And the Darren guy okay. was played by uh, Matthew Gray Gubler, who was in Criminal Minds for 15 years. So they're all characters that have been in crime investigation sort of shows. Really cool touch. Just to That is cool. Yeah. And they both were a bit familiar, you're right. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, they're, they're in like Bones or something like that, but I got that wrong, but they're yeah. in, they were in um, some other things. All right, any questions that you want to ask? There is, and I'm glad we haven't quite uh, talked about this. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know, do you think there was plausibility around the whole alien time travel concept? I, like, based on reading, like, what the director said, yeah, he put that in there, it's in there, all that sort of stuff. For me, personally, watching the movie, no. Me personally, I don't. I, at the end of the film, I I wasn't like she's being abducted by aliens. Um, I think it, my interpretation, and like obviously anyone can take their own interpretation to it. I think there's elements of it in there, but I can still come up with reasons for everything as to how it all fit in with her mental illness as well. See, I I was watching the film, obviously waiting for the alien stuff to be debunked, like. Yeah. I, I'm like 
the mental illness side of things and the blurring of reality, it's a really fun thing to play with. Um, So when I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, I think she's having a lot of issues with her mental illness and there's probably paranoid schizophrenia, but the film finishes and I'm like, so why are there still these massive scratches on the wall and her car, which don't seem human made? Why this is a kicker for me when she's walking down the street with a horse in that first scene and then it's in the, one of the last scenes, but she's in the store with Joan because she's at the very first scene she's in the store and the, the horse walks past, but then she's there and I'm like, how is she in two places at once? And then um, this is the, these two are a bit less, a bit easier to, to, to debunk, but at the end you sort of see the horse just sitting there just eating the shrubs or whatever and, and she's not there. I guess you could pan and maybe she was going to be there laying on the ground, but she's not there. And then obviously the bruises on her with the aliens. Like we never really got better. I mean, she's sleepwalking or whatever. So you can, but there was enough there for me to be like, this is all well and good that she's, we're going through mental health stuff, but I'm not convinced that there's not an alien time travel thing going on. And I think I got to a point where I'm like, I'm okay with both of these things being a thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think they're both there. You can take either way, but like I, I love sci-fi. I really like sci-fi. Um, and maybe I need more of a sci-fi thing to to get the whole alien thing because that, that whole idea of, you know, um, Sarah is her grandmother and, you know, it's mm-hmm. her travelling back in time to get where she is. I, and I, that, that opening scene where Joan's seeing Sarah on the horse while Sarah's standing next to her, that's the only shot that isn't from Sarah's point of view, I think, in the film. And was, there she's out the front. But we've got to remember she's an unreliable narrator. This whole film like the first half of the film, we don't really get a lot of the insight into to what she's yep. been struggling with. So we can't take all of that for granted either. So to me, the scratches on the wall and in the car are her having massive fits. Um, yeah, like she wakes yeah, up. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it is there. It is there. It goes sense. both ways. Yeah. Which is yeah. good, right? That's that's clever filmmaking. Yeah, I, and I like the idea too at the end. Like, obviously, she takes the horse Willow and then she lies down in the opening. It's like, yeah, I'm ready to be taken by the aliens. But also, to me, it's like that idea. She's she's ready to to, to give into it all. She's ready to to be done with with the struggles yeah. that she's facing um, more so than you know bright lights. People see bright lights all the time, but they're both there. They're both there. Yeah, I agree. I just want, so Sarah's mum at the cemetery, the grave. That was her mum's grave, not her grandmother's. Her mum's correct. Yeah, her mum's grave. So the, her ex-partner had so much cash that she was flashing around. Why didn't she have a gravestone? Like an unmarked grave. I mean, it's not that uncommon. Maybe it's not her mother's gravestone. Interesting. You've, you've really thought about that one. I did, well, because the other, the other way, if she dig, digs it up and, and proves the DNA, the DNA is not necessarily going to match or it'll match in a reverse order because it'll say that she's the mother of the mother that's in the ground. So that whole well, DNA. Well, I still don't understand. Her DNA lines. would still exist. Though. It exists, like, yeah. Her not getting the DNA back is like, well, her grandma's still going to have DNA. Like, you'd get something back. But um, it'd come back and say she's the mother of the of her mother. I don't think the DNA <laughs> no? comes back that clean. I think it's, you know, got your ancestral. I don't think it says, hey, by the way, Jesse, your grandfather is this person or this person, this person, this person. But they do, I think don't it they? That's how they do the, the, the trees, yeah. So oh, maybe she, they she do. wouldn't have the DNA I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a scientist, Bela, so that's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. We are ready to wrap this one up with our final thoughts and a rating out of five. What 
Hey, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, well, no surprise now, but I think I I think I like this more than the the general movie loving population enjoyed it. I think the ability to tell a story around mental illness and, and, and crippling mental illness and to tie into what appears this bizarre hallucination from that illness, but then to give you enough evidence that it could actually be true is a real feat. I think it's a movie at the end of the day. And why not, why not have fun with both sides of the story? Mm. You know, why can't alien invasion and time travel be real? I think this movie is really ambitious and I think it, I think it works. It's uh I'm giving it three and a half stars. Lovely. Yeah, I, I sort of, not whacking people, but I think people that sort of maybe claim that this film is confusing or doesn't make sense possibly missed the whole point. I think life is confusing um, for those that are struggling with mental illness. And this movie made me feel like I was part of her world. So that confusion was meaningful. Um, and I deeply mm. felt sorry for her. I, I just wanted to reach through the screen to help and be like, I'm here to help. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. I get both sides. I think, you know, whether it's a, a, an alien movie, whether it's whatever, whether it's a, a mental illness, whether it's both, doesn't really matter because uh, it gives you something to think about. So, given it three and a half as well. On the beautiful. same page. It's been a while, I reckon. It has been, yeah. It's, uh, it's good to see we're on socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Question for you Can you ride a horse? Can I ride a horse? I have ridden a horse. Does that count? As can sure. I? I sure. Wouldn't feel comfortable jumping on one today, but um, I've done it before. Yeah, I did it once in primary school and fell off and never got back on again. Oh, boy. <laughs> nah. Did you hurt yourself? No, nah, I wasn't too bad. I was more traumatized. Um, so I'm not a fan <laughs> of horses. <laughs> That's why you're not, you're not a horse boy. Exactly. I'm not a horse boy. Um, we're back next week. I'm not very, very excited about this one at all. I think oh, no. you might be. I'm not. But we've got a 2020 teen romantic comedy of all the boys. P.S. I still oh, love you. Yep. It's directed yep. by Michael Fimonari. It stars Lana Condor, Noah Centineo, Jordan Fisher, and Anna Cathcart. So the sequel to uh, the film that we did quite a while ago now. Yep. I've seen this one. I did watch it during lockdown. Um, ah. Yeah, I, that's right. I did see it was coming up. Yeah, so I think there's a third later on at some stage too. I haven't so. seen I haven't seen the third one. So no. when we're seventy five, watching a teen movie, that's <laughs> <laughs> an injury. Yeah, we'll get there ideas. eventually. <laughs> it's been good, good to chat about a movie like this. So, uh, oh, I needed it. <laughs> uh, and I'll see you next week. See you then, mate.